Welcome to the RevOps Lab, a podcast exploring the art and science of revenue operations. To find more episodes and resources on scaling your revenue engine, visit getweflow.com slash RevOps. Hey, Philip. Hey, Janis. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. We have a pretty good episode, I think. We talked with Marcus Benning about how the changes in the markets over the past 18 months are now impacting revenue operations as a whole. And we look at it from various angles, including customer success, outbound sales, and message marketers. So I think it's a pretty good episode, and it's definitely worth listening to. Marcus, welcome. Yeah, hello, and thanks for having me, Janis and Philip. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you. And yeah, maybe you can give a bit of context about yourself. I mean, I know you've long career in RevOps and other areas. So yeah, why don't you do a quick intro? Yeah, happy to, happy to. Yeah, so I founded my consulting business focused on go-to-market architectures and revenue operations last year. And prior to that, I spent basically about 10 years building up and running sales ops and revenue operations functions. Uh, first in the US where I lived until 2020, and then I moved to Berlin. And my last job here in Berlin was at ZenJob, which you might've heard basically a digital platform to manage supply and demand for short-term jobs. And uh, prior to 2012, I was uh, spent 11 years with Microsoft in first sales. So I started my career at Microsoft as a seller, a solution seller, by the way, big distinction. And, uh, and then moved into something that they call, or at that time they called business architecture, which is Microsoft speak for what we know as sales operations. So basically I was able to work with subsidiaries globally on mainly transitioning from licensing sales to cloud sales. And that was a very interesting experience. And um, yeah, prior to Microsoft, which I joined in 2002, I started my career in management consulting. Awesome. Yeah, so a lot of experience. Um, let's maybe dive right in. I mean, from your experience, especially now working with private equity companies and helping, you know, uh, venture-backed and private equity-backed companies. I mean, what has changed the last 18 months? Oh, well, quite a lot, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, everybody's speaking about the shift from um, from growth at all costs to efficient growth. And, uh, of course, RevOps is a part of that. You know, there are several things that have changed. One is um, tool, you know, the investment in tools is being questioned, right? Because it's an important cost element. So, Every RevOps leader that I know is being exposed to basically justify the investment in tools um, that can lead to, you know, going away from a best of breed approach to a more platform centric approach, which makes sense. Um, it also puts the uh, related, the, the affected software vendors into a different situation. They need to basically justify their existence based on a different mindset. And uh, that's definitely one that, that every RevOps leader is, is exposed to. Right. So, so tool consolidation, how to save costs and how to make things as efficient as possible. Right. Um, the, the, the other, if we go, before we go deeper, it's, it's, you know, let's take a step back and basically talk about the mindset. Right. So what does it mean? Uh, basically from lofty valuations to everybody focusing on how pro, how can we get profitable as quickly as possible? Especially if you're a venture capital funded company, how much runway do you have really? And. And even in private equity, which I also have the opportunity to work with, it's a similar story, but the only difference in that, that in private equity, because of the fundamental investment thesis, efficient growth has always been the name of the game. So everything is focused on EBITDA, 
everything is focused on building a story either through transformation or growth or a, or a combination of both toward providing efficient efficiency wins and 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 revops is in most companies that i work with considered a value driver element of the value creation plan which is what private equity companies use to achieve success and uh, and it's more about finding these pockets of additional efficiency layers that then should be activated it's either through implementing new technologies um, streamlining processes investing in much more structured enablement so that's basically ongoing nothing has changed in that regard what has changed though is the intensity of focusing on unit economics so you know if 18 months ago we were basically talking about ARR or MRR as the only you know uh, thing we were that we were going after now revenue leaders revops leaders they need to understand what what is LTV what's the LTV to CAC ratio what is customer acquisition cost CAC um what what are the process elements that influence those metrics how can i connect uh, the analysis of those metrics with seamless ideally seamlessly designed processes to improve the performance of those metrics so it's a it's a much more metric driven business nowadays which is a good thing because ultimately um that's what revops is about basically understanding you know how the business works what are the metrics that matter the moments that matter in the funnel and then executing around that yeah yeah i mean i think there's uh, two really good reports iconic published a sales efficiency report and then also insights partners uh published a report about it and if you look at the the metrics right it's it's really centered around you know like how has growth developed uh, over the last 18 months and that has gone down quota attainment has gone down uh, even uh, net retention has gone down uh, right because of seed deprivation um, and then CAC payback is something uh, uh, you know being closely looked at as well so how long does it take to actually you know uh, uh, offset the customer acquisition costs um and I think in private equity, to your point, right, this has been something that has always been the main focus. I think that the time frame between 2019 and 2021 or beginning of 2021 was actually uh, more an exception than the rule. Um, what we've observed there was uh, low interest for over 10 years um, and a lot of venture capital and then also growth capital going into the technology ecosystem and i think one thing that's really interesting to look at is just look at the the um equity multiples for public traded SaaS companies in that time frame that went from typically 8 to 12 to actually you know 50 to 60 and uh you know i think back in the days i always felt like that's that's crazy i mean it's just not sustainable and and i think we're basically back to the normal rhythm of software as a service um, um agreed and, and and i think that's a that's a great description you're, you're doing and, that. exactly so in a sense it's it's healthy right so it's basically you know back back to basics you know um one of the key elements that that also companies are now realizing is based on the on the realization wow it's very expensive to actually win a new customer right everybody's focusing on customer acquisition cost the other concept that i see many companies now focusing on what's the cost to serve an existing customer and then related to that, the question, is it even the right existing customer? You know, the, what was the decision that the customer made to sign up with us or to purchase our services or products? 
And is it still for us from a profit, from a, from a efficiency perspective and a financial efficiency perspective, a good decision to continue to work with that? Yeah. Yeah. So you're referring to essentially customer success operations or account management operations. What's happening after the post sale? Exactly. Right. So, so early in the funnel, meaning classic marketing topic, we need to know who we pitch to and why, what are the personas, you know, um, But it's equally important to apply that concept to the, what I call the right-hand side of the funnel. So after the sale, you know, onboarding, impact, growth, and expansion, you, you want to know which customers you are serving and why and how much does it cost you to serve these customers. And in some cases, also be bold to make decisions to have difficult conversations with those customers about, for example, pricing, um, because you, you want to elevate the efficiency of that customer being in your cohort. Um And, and so, so that many companies are now focusing, do I have the right customers and why, and how do I measure the efficiency of that customer relationship? And then how I drive toward proactively improving the, the composition of my customer cohorts, because it, it is so expensive to win new customers. Number one, and number two, uh, nothing better than a, what I call a customer success qualified lead, meaning that the customer success team has a close engagement rhythm with the existing customer. And due to that, identifies leads to drive um, either upsell or cross-sell motions in the existing customer. Those deals are much easier to close. They, they close faster. And you just give companies are giving their existing customers much more love than before. So are you um, referring to customer success ops as something that has professionalized? I mean, um, do you see RefOps teams now having a stronger focus on Everything from, let's say, the contract is signed to how do we onboard, train, uh, you know, how do we do our quarterly reviews? How do we move from being reactive to proactive and then also, you know, renewal and upsell, cross sell? And is that something you are observing in the, in, in the scene right now? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that is, is happening and even with, with more rigor and also with, with much more structure. Um, if you go back to what the, If you think about RevOps, the functional model has always been marketing ops, sales ops, and customer success ops, and basically linking those three functional approaches to one, I call it horizontalizing, you know, and aligning with the value creation across the funnel. And many companies start naturally with sales ops. Actually, they start earlier. They have a CRM system that somebody manages, but that's the first step into actually doing sales ops. And then you start wondering, well, it might be a good idea to integrate with marketing and or customer success so that those pockets of operational decisions are no longer, you know, made in silos, but rather in, in the connectedness of the go-to-market motion. Um, now that that still makes sense. And, and what we're seeing is basically a much stronger focus on professionalizing your go-to-market motions on the right-hand side of the funnel. Really, um, I, I hear a lot of my customers asking me, okay, what customer success tools do you recommend? We need to find kind of a tool that supports us in something we want to call customer lifecycle management. How do I measure the customer's health? How do I measure the signals of their product usage and turn that into signals that help me combat potential churn, that help me identify opportunities to expand? So there is definitely a an, an renewed focus on customer success as, as a driver of business outcomes. And with that, also the focus on operationally managing that with, with a very efficient approach, which requires processes, systems, tools, enablement, And of course, the right customer success strategy. 
And you, you mentioned like also the cost of serving a customer. So um, what, what, what in your experience are like the, the strongest drivers to in increase the costs um, of serving a customer? So like what, what's a bad customer? Like when should you get rid of someone or try to get rid of someone? Yeah, <laughs> the cool, cool question. Yeah, so, you know, usually there are some signs, right? So when you, when you see a customer that suddenly, first of all, slow adoption, slow onboarding is always a sign for future problems, potentially even churn, right? And those are the customers that are, then more difficult to manage um, uh, when a customer suddenly increases the number of tickets that they generate. And because of you not you as a company maybe not having a proactive engagement model, you're basically in a reactive mode that usually increases the cost because um, in the worst case, you have to start a rescue mission. You have to basically prevent that churn from happening, which is very costly. You need to send in your partners if you have your own services team You need to basically put a SWAT team together to rescue that customer. That's also very, all, all very expensive. Um, and then also the, the fit for purpose, as I call it, right? So you, you, you want to analyze those customers where you always, you might have, okay, you, you might have said, okay, we're going to go after that deal because it's a lighthouse win. It's, it, it's a well-known logo. We need to have that customer, but you were never really certain how they will use your tool and solution. Well, that's going to come and bite you. In the moment, the customer is realizing, do we really have impact? Do we want to actually go into a renewal conversation? And then if you didn't have that strong alignment with the value perception of the customer, then it's almost too late. And then you again start a rescue mission. The CS team, for example, in, in many companies, customer success folks, they're not really sales focused. They don't have, they, they love the customer. They love providing value. But in order to rescue a deal, what they do is they call the AE. Right. And then you basically have to resell a deal, which then takes resources away from what the AE should be really doing. And then it complicates the whole motion. So there's, there's a lot going on in that regard. And it goes back to uh, ideally being proactive. And many companies are now realizing they're, they're thinking in terms of customer lifecycle management, which is something I'm hearing. About. So how do you manage proactively the lifecycle of the customer and drive an engagement model that is even differentiated in ideally by segment? you know, higher, larger, uh, uh, higher engagement rhythm, you know, more personal, higher cost, but also associated to higher revenue, higher value perception and more transactional customers. Well, that's where you try to decrease the cost to serve, but you still want to run those customers efficiently because they have a strong baseline to expand toward uh, or to expand from, sorry. Um, and, and many companies are thinking, okay, how can I turn this around? I want to become i want to turn from becoming reactive to basically embracing my customer and what are the process and models that i can apply in that regard one of those is customer lifecycle management which which many companies are not really now focusing on i mean um i think i, I fully agree but like as long as the the basically the lifetime value of the customer um is lower than the cost of acquisition it, it's fine right like it's fine it's fine to have these customers you don't have to like make so much effort in order to like you know keep them if they churn they churn um it still has a positive impact on your balance sheets exactly right so you you want to have that different differentiated approach right what's the cost to serve do we want to keep that customer um you know it's it's a much more deliberate focused and intentional approach toward customers you just don't focus on taking in anybody in that shows up 
you, you basically say, okay, why would this customer be able to build a successful story with us? And those customers that I have, I definitely want to keep them because churn is very, very expensive. And you basically want to basically do, you want to build a solid relationship, uh, clarity in the value story. You know, many companies are refocusing on getting product marketing aligned with the new reality and focusing on impact, you know, um, and uh, an impact and, and value perception and also aligning that with different personas, meaning clarity on who makes the decision and why and where is the actual value perception. Um, those are topics that I that I see happening in in, in many companies right now, and um, and with good results. Actually, you know, it's it's not rocket science that we're talking about. It's basically just you know good common sense and and leveraging the fact that we have customers and we want to give them some love. Just to summarize, so what you're suggesting is essentially going from reactive to proactive, uh, segmenting the customer. Um, creating a customer lifecycle management process that you know runs from the onboarding you know training uh, reviews to the renewal and expansion discussion um and then really understanding what does customer success lo look like right so looking at product analytics data if you have those um and understanding what metrics are the benchmark Uh, comparing those uh, deviations to go from the reactive to proactive model um, and also understanding unique economics and I guess the the ICP um, even better on the customer success side, which I think is, is, is very much something we know from the top of the funnel and mid of the funnel, yeah, but it's, it's probably uh, a bit newer on the customer success side. Um, And feels like a well-needed professionalization um, to, to to drive more more revenue, right? If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check out the RevOps Letter, a newsletter where Yanis and I share insights from the best revenue operators in the world. It's packed with actionable tips, insightful reports, and strategic advice. And if you have questions, just hit reply and we'll answer them personally. That's what all the 1,000 operators love about it already. Go to getweeflow.com slash letter or just go to the show notes and subscribe now. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, and very, very fair. So, you know, it's, it's, it's looking holistically, you know, and especially if you're a company that has been focused more on winning new customers, you know, where in the past, again, you know, it was about how many new logos. I mean, I know board meetings that have been entirely focused on how many new logos were won. Um, that has changed completely. Now the question is, okay, how many new logos did we won? Did we win? And how many of these were aligned with the ICP? So the ideal customer profile is definitely a topic that is coming up big uh, in companies and not only applying to the early funnel, but also to the existing customers, to the cohorts. Um, and the other topic that I see in that context coming up is the clarity on metrics. So you really companies are really looking at why do I need to measure certain aspects in the go-to-market funnel? Um, and what is what does that KPI tree look like? And do I make do I need to make adjustments? You know, and do I have the processes defined and 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 measured in a way that it's clear what is an MQL, what is an SQL, what is a qualified opportunity, what is an onboarded customer and why? What defines that? What is a customer that has that is perceiving impact and why? And what is a customer that I can consider in a growth and expansion phase? 
So to apply the rigor that we usually see on the left-hand side of the funnel, usually at the sales motion, sales stages, to apply that same rigor on the right-hand side with existing customers is, is also something that, that many companies are focusing right now, and it, it makes complete sense. Uh, yeah, I think that. we've all been there that, uh, you know, you close a big deal, you're super happy, you ship it over the line. It's a bad onboarding experience already. There's a lot of information missing in the CRM and you're, you're thinking, oh my God, you know, and then the customer comes in with huge expectations towards your roadmap. It destroys your product roadmap and you're basically in a situation where, you know, the rescue team starts before you even have success yeah. in the experience for the customer. It's just negative, right? It's just something that is noise. Um, so I think, uh, you know, maybe let's go a bit more to the top of the funnel, right? Like uh, you touched on the ICP topic, ideal customer profile. Um, you know, how has that changed on the top of the funnel and then also going into the SQOs? I'm, I'm super, super curious about that. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's this, I mean, you hear a lot of noise about um, traditional outbound is dead and so on, you know, and, uh, you know, that that's one thing you hear, which I, by the way, disagree with um, fundamentally. Not only because I'm an outreach alum, um, uh, but but because I do believe that the go-to-market motion still makes sense. You know, traditional traditional outbound in inbound, but you have to look at them differently with a different light. Meaning, what is the ultimate outcome that you want to achieve? Um, and and then applying and modifying the existing setup. Uh, especially if you think about the sales model overall, uh, and being more differentiated. You know, companies are realizing now that the classic thinking about, okay, at first, up, first I have to achieve product market fit. And what I do until then is really doesn't matter much. Well, that's no longer true because you still need to be cost efficient to get toward product market fit. And then uh, companies also talk about something that is called message market fit. And that's where it gets interesting because you want to have that in order to be effective when you do outbound motions. They still make sense, but they need to be looked in a much more comprehensive uh, context, which requires then also to um, obtain more data, uh, understand the decision triggers and drivers of your potential customers in a much better way. Um, and, and by doing so, being much closer to the prospect, um, understanding the ways decisions are made, you know that that goes into not only under not only being present on LinkedIn, but really understanding why people are on social media and why do they prefer cer certain certain platforms, and taking that information in to make the overall outreach and the out outbound motion, for example, in the early funnel, much more meaningful and much more outcome focused and much more uh, and a much better experience, um, which also has to be more personalized. Uh, so, what are we seeing on the on on if you think about ICP and the application to early funnel processes like outbound, right? We're he hearing people say the traditional classic outbound is dead. Um, you know, um, maybe that's a little bit of attention grabbing on LinkedIn. I, I do not believe that outbound is dead by any mean. Um, not only because I'm an outreach alum, but because I believe that a reasonable and sense, you know, and, and a a well-constructed and designed outbound motion will still add a ton of value to any pipeline. Um, but what is happening is that um, the process is turning from a highly mechanized process where it was basically, you know, 18, 24 months ago, it was about basically about you, you, you wanted to scale outbound, well, you hired more SDRs. Now the question is, 
how do I make more outbound, more efficient, more personalized, more aligned with the decision triggers and value perceptions of my prospects? Um, and for that, it's important to really have an up-to-date ICP and also understanding why personas do think a certain way about solutions and what why would it matter to them so that the whole outbound process becomes more um, more based on uh, reasonable and structured data, not only firmographic, technographic, but also social media um, sourced data to understand why a prospect is present at certain channels and certain platforms and what drives their decision making so I can personalize the outreach uh, and also provide relevant content. And that's also where we see another trend where AI is coming in, you know, uh, generative AI is definitely helping many companies and many uh, in many aspects to basically provide in a much faster and quicker way the content that is relevant to have a reasonable conversation with a prospect and and then to get that meeting, which is the ultimate outcome. Uh, so fundamentally, outbound is still relevant, but it's changing in the way it's being executed and focused on. And then, of course, um, in everything, we, companies are looking how cost efficient can I be with outbound? So how can I still ach- achieve the outcomes, but in a much more cost efficient way? So everybody's looking at how are we designing our process for scale, for simplicity, and for standardization? The, the, what I call the three S, you know, scale, simplicity, and standardization. They're they're always present. They should be present in everything that RevOps does. They're even more important nowadays in any process that that RevOps is 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 is, uh, is aligned with or tasked with to design or to or to improve. It feels a bit like uh, you know all the marketing channels are actually changing. Where they look at outbound content. Um, you know, uh, uh, ads, and um, and I think uh, the interesting part on the outbound discussion is uh, a lot of people just basically refer to it because they think outbound has become this numbers game, and on the quality level, maybe not great quality. Um, but uh, if you think about when do you have a potential buyer that is in the market and wants to you know buy a solution like it, i think that's a really interesting question like yes typically outbound is not focused on these but can you actually think about triggers that increase likelihood that those folks are actually in the market and are buying right and if you think deeply about those things and then you have a meaningful message i think you refer to as the message market fit right that is actually resonating with your persona and you have persona-based messaging and you have uh, basically also a quick understanding of how you can help uh, solve those those pain points, it matters a lot, right? And and it's it's another it's another very attractive channel. Then the question is, you know, kind of what's your CAC to um a, a CAC payback ratio there, right? And by channel. Um and, and that's then probably the details, uh really important details. But but yeah, I think uh, it's a very generalized discussion on LinkedIn. And I lately saw this, I don't know if you saw that, but like I saw this, you know, notion of uh, you took book one meeting, you needed 300 touch points and now you need 1,200. So I do believe it has gotten a lot harder, but has it gotten, you know, uh, um, uh, five times harder, three times harder? You know, I, I don't know. I think everything has gotten harder in 2023 because the buyers are just more rigid about how they buy software, right? So companies that had product market fit two years ago or felt like they have product market fit might not have it anymore because 
uh, the buyers want different things. And I think, you know, if you think about revenue technologies, right, which I think we all spend a lot of time analyzing and building, and um, I think there's a clear trend towards consolidation, uh, which feeds essentially the customer success angle, right? You have more products to sell, cross-sell, upsell, so you can increase your average contract value on the existing customer side. But, you know, on the new logo side, right, the expectations towards what you actually want from your vendors has changed quite dramatically. Um, and I think that's a super interesting topic as well because the perception and the buying committees are changing. And there's just a lot more rigor in not just buying whatever, you know, shouts the loudest and, you know, maybe has the best story, but what actually creates a scalable uh, stack that helps you, uh, you know, win more or drive more revenue. Agreed. Yeah. And and in some cases, actually, if you put yourself in the shoes of a, you know, up and coming software vendor, um, in some cases, you need to play defense. You know, you're basically put on the spot because you are the best of breed solution. And there's this platformization happening, this cost reduction, to your point about consolidation in the market uh, place happening. Um, so, so, you know, good Good companies, they focus on, okay, we need to play defense, but how do we use that opportunity to become better in our offensive game? And, and that requires then also looking at creative approaches. You know, um, one thing that I see happening, which is incredibly powerful is community. You know, many companies now focus on really understanding and elevate and, and taking in the concept of community as, as, as a, as an asset, as a, as an angle, as a lever and, working on leveraging that for the outcomes of for the business outcomes so community as a platform to position yourself as a thought leader um what are the tools and the and the and the and the communication means that you can use i mean podcasts like this like this one i mean that the you know podcasts have basically grown like mushrooms um and and again what you see there is a differentiation of quality and quantity right um and, and, and then again, going back to community, how do you engage proactively with a community? Not only participating, that's the passive community game, but how, as a company, do you proactively participate in that motion? Because that's where people come together that are like-minded, that have a common interest and usually share information. Um, and it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity to be present and to position thought leadership, which then improves, you know, usually the likelihood of then applying with that relevant content. And, and a transformed and much more personalized and ICP centric outbound motion. All of that is playing together. Um, so again, as you said earlier, you need to be as a company much more thoughtful than before. You know, uh, 18, 24 months ago, it was basically just, okay, scale is everything. Cost doesn't matter. Uh, let's go. And today it's about, and this is why it's so interesting to be in RevOps nowadays because. RevOps, if it's well positioned and understood in a company, is actually the main driver to help steer the business in those directions from a strategy, process, systems and tools, enablement and data perspective. And if we look at, at, at that, it's an incredible time to be at RevOps because you're being looked at in a, with a totally different set of eyes and totally different expectation. I know RevOps leaders that are now being pulled and invited to board meetings to present, you know, efficiency levers um, to board members. That had, was not the case 18 months ago, or there might have been some cases. Uh, the level of interest in go-to-market efficiency has increased substantially, which is a fantastic opportunity for anyone associated to RevOps. 
Yeah, I, I think the aspect of community-led uh, growth is super interesting. I mean, it's another uh, channel on the marketing side that um, creates a lot of awareness these days. Uh, what I find very, very interesting in marketing is that it felt like a few years ago you had a few different channels and they were very measurable and the attribution layer were a lot clearer. And now everything is multi-touch, you know, like how does community-led play into your outbound, right? Which is first and foremost, from my point of view, an awareness channel, right? It's not high intent. Um, so probably measuring low intent is a lot easier but how do you measure, um, you know, how do you measure these like branding uh, awareness channels that are a lot harder to measure? How do you attribute them? I think that's a big challenge for RefOps because obviously it has a lot of triple, triple uh, um, ripple effects on to your where you spend your your money. Um, so yeah, any any thoughts there? Yeah, so it, it, you're absolutely right. It, it is it, it is important to focus on what I call the, the the data model, right? So so basically, to your point about how to measure that, um, many companies are realizing, hey, our data model is really not clear. You know, do we really know what was the outcome of that campaign? Or, you know, we participate in 17 different podcasts, but why and what's, what's the impact and what's the attribution? Um, and, and that is incredibly important for RevOps leaders to uh, proactively reach out and embrace the marketing world in that regard. Now, of course, the marketing world has established KPIs and ways to measure, you know, brand equity. Um, uh, the, 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 the wheel doesn't have to be reinvented in regards of, uh, for example, perceptions about brand and also measuring impact of, of different marketing tactics. But what is important from a RevOps perspective, I think, is to proactively incorporate that that sequence of measurements into a data model that is focused on the out outcome overall um, uh, because it starts back to icp right it starts if you start acquiring customers uh, because of the marketing strategy not being aligned with what is the real customer that we want to have what is the ideal customer profile if there's a disconnect then you know you might have fantastic metrics from a marketing execution but ultimately, you end up acquiring customers that are not contributing to the the to the LTV in the best possible way, right? The lifetime value, and and so what what's what I see happening is many proactive RevOps leaders just starting to think very broadly and connecting the dots and saying, in order to maximize LTV, which is a key unit economic, we need to actually start very very early in the funnel and actually work with marketing to align and create a connectedness in. The measurement of what our marketing activities are and why, how do they produce outcomes that we can then process with our go-to-market machinery, so to speak, toward good outcomes in regards of unit economics. So, so that's 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 something that that is very important. And and again, to stress the importance of 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 data of a data model. So, I think any RevOps leader, any RevOps team needs to really invest quality time in understanding what are the moments that matter, what are the metrics, what are the KPI trees. And also having a bold, driving bold decisions on decommitting from vanity metrics, right? For example, activity-based metrics that many companies still measure. Well, they're fine, but put them in the second or even third level of the KPI tree. And then the first level, put the metrics that really stand for outcomes and that can be continuously measured so that trend views are, are possible. And then enable RevOps to be the driver of 
insights out of that data so that they can help detect, you know, ideally detect trends and, and look and convert signals into decision triggers for the go-to-market leadership. Um, that's the, uh, that's the ideal world, but that requires, of course, building a solid foundation in regards of being able to measure those data across the farm. Yeah, we'll actually have an episode about funnel metrics and what matters uh, in the coming weeks uh, with Charlie Saunders, uh, because I think that's a really interesting topic to, to look at. Um, um, and, 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 and often done, uh, maybe, maybe not right. So how do you get that right? Especially across, you know, the different functions. As you mentioned, right, from marketing sales to, uh, you know, success um, and see the entire funnel and also the outcome on the renewal side, right? It's a long period, right? Uh, so, so, so really difficult to do, um, but has a huge impact on the business overall. Um, look, I mean, I, I feel like we could continue talking, but we're getting, you know, we're running up on, on time. So, so I, I want to ask you, you know, one closing question, um, and then I think we have to invite you back in a few months to see how all these topics have evolved. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, if you think about, you know, like back on your, onto your career, I mean, what were, you know, some of the biggest learnings if you were to, to start your, your career in RefOps today? I mean, what's the one or two things, you know, you think are crucial if you, if you were to start now? Yeah. So, so that's a fantastic question. Thanks, Janice. So I think if I look back at my career, I think the, what immediately comes to mind is the connectedness to the business. So you, in order to really run RevOps in a meaningful way, uh, you individually as a leader, but also your team needs to be very closely aligned with the business. You know, the business affinity, the understanding, the commitment to achieve success and outcomes. Um, even down to a compensation model that exposes the RevOps sales ops team to, um, to revenue outcomes. You know, those are things that are, I think, essential because you can only be relevant as you, you know, to the, to the level of you understanding and actually co-driving and carrying the business. And there needs to be an alignment. So the, the, the old idea of, oh, we have some techies that run the CRM and we have some ops people that know how to run marketing campaigns and we have someone, um, sending out the renewal notices, you know, so basically an operative and process centric understanding is not good enough. You need to basically elevate to be a business partner. Um, that's, that's very important. Um, the, the other thing that comes to mind is, is, a, is, is what, what also drives me in my career, which is always linking outcomes with empathy, empathy, uh, meaning you need to be focused on business outcomes as a, as an owner and driver of RevOps. And I mean this for any individual, any leader that is in, in this space. And, and most important is to understand and to have empathy for the people that carry out the processes that you have the opportunity and the, and the honor to be designing for the company that you're working with, because ultimately it's a people business. So, uh, you know, technology is good. Processes are excellent. You know, leverage the, I always say the P words, right? And especially don't forget the P word that, that means product. You know, you always want to really well understand the product that your company is selling and why. Um, and linking that with empathy for people because ultimately they, they are the ones that drive the outcome and, and not limiting that to the internal world, but also understanding the people outside of the company, meaning who buys and why and what drives them. Those are kind of things that, that come to mind that, that 
that are kind of differentiators because they're easy to forget, right? You can really spend a ton of time becoming the master of processes and implementing the CRM in the best way possible. Um, but you know, you should never forget the people that actually end up using the tools that you're, you're implementing. Yeah. I love this closing note. I think that's a fantastic, uh, advice for everybody, uh, going into this, uh, fantastic and in in interesting role, which I think has so much uh, potential in the next uh, decade, given what we just heard. Marcus, thank you so much for sharing all these fantastic views and learnings. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, wish you a great day. Thanks so much for having me, Janice and Philip. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the RevOps Lab podcast. Please consider to like and subscribe our show and give us a five-star rating on wherever you're listening. If you have feedback or suggestions, let us know at podcast at getweflow.com. We read and reply to every email. Thank you. Thank you.